thanks, Ash. I'd love to invite up the front Paul Dale. Paul, welcome. So Thank glad you. you could come and join us. Uh, you. You've come across from Sydney. Uh, you were speaking at the Equip conference that was just on on the weekend. Yep. Not originally from Sydney, grew up in the UK. Uh, tell us, how did you become a Christian? Sure. So I grew up in a place called Coventry in the middle of England. Um, loving home, didn't go to church at all my entire life. Uh, went to university age 18. Uh, to study maths, and uh, in my second week at university, I met a guy called David, who was a Buddhist, and he tried to persuade me to look into Buddhism. Uh, I decided, as an 18-year-old, if I was going to look into Buddhism, I should look into all world religions. And so I literally went to a bookshop in Oxford, and I bought seven books, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Atheism, and New Ageism, and I spent 18 months investigating all world religions. And in the days before Excel spreadsheets, I had a, a massive wall chart. Uh, here's the religion, here's what they believe. I actually wrote a mathematical equation as to why they are <laughs> mutually inconsistent. Um, uh, I was reading Luke's Gospel one night uh, by myself, and there's a verse in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus says to Peter... Uh, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And that was my defining moment, my light bulb moment. I thought after all these years of research, that is the most important question that any human being needs to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? And uh, after all my reading, I thought Jesus is God. I believed he was God. I believed he lived. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. I didn't have a clue what it meant to be a Christian. I hadn't been to church, never really knew any Christians. Um, and a few months later, um, I was in a pub called the Eagle and Child, which is where C.S. Lewis and Tolkien met. And um, I, was my, I was with my best friend, Phil, who had grown up in a Christian home, gone to a Christian school, led on Christian camps, and had totally walked away from Jesus. And over two hours, over a couple of pints, he explained to me how to live the Christian life, not just believe it. Um, and that was another defining moment. And so I um, went home that night, prayed a prayer, gave my life to Christ. That was 28 years ago. Wow. So I was led to Christ by a Buddhist and a uh, lapsed Christian. Um, <laughs> Uh, didn't go to church, refused to go to church the first nine months, thought I could be a Christian without going to church. I was wrong, I couldn't. And uh, walked into church age 21 for the very first time. Yeah. Uh, you're now um, a pastor of uh, a group of kind of churches yep. near the Harbour Bridge in Sydney uh, yep. called Kirribilli. Yep. Um, uh, you're married to Rachel, you've got four kids. Yep. Uh, what does a normal week look like for you? What do, what do you do throughout the week when you're not over here? Speaking. Um, just pa pastoring a church, so leading a church, um, got uh, eight churches, um, leading a staff team, uh, training, equipping, preaching, teaching, pastoring. Uh, my heart is pastoring, pasting and preaching. Um, and I mean this honestly, I, I would very happily go back to pastoring a smaller church of 50 odd people, about 1,000 people now. Uh, just teaching God's words to people and pastoring and caring for them. Yeah. And then being a husband, being a father. Well, looking forward to you opening the word for us now. I want to pray for you, sure. and then you can do that. Father God, thanks so much for Paul. Thank you for the way that you've worked in his life to bring him to understand the realities of who Jesus is. And just pray now, Lord, that as we sit under your word, as Paul explains your word, 
that by your spirit you would point us to the realities you have for us to hear, that you would shape and mould us and send us away, having heard you speak to us today changed. Mm. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, the, the more you read the Bible, the more you meditate on it, the more you'll be astonished by it. And the more you read the Bible, the more you meditate on it, the more you'll be astonished by it. And that's been my personal experience. The more that I have delved into God's Word and allowed God's Word to shape me and dwell in my heart richly, uh, the more astonished I've been by God. Uh, one of my favorite prayers was written in 1662 by Thomas Cranmer. He said this, Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Uh, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, and learn, and inwardly digest them. And that, that attitude of coming to God's word Eager, wanting to learn and to hear and to allow God's word to shape us. And apart from talking about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, I cannot think of any topic I'd rather talk about than God's word. God's whole, holy scriptures, his breathed out word. See, God's word is powerful, isn't it? God's word really is powerful. Uh, Hebrews 4 says it's living and active, so it changes. It, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. So when you sit under the Word, it kind of it tears you, it rips you to shreds, and then heals you and refreshes you and revives you. And God's Word, for me, ex exposes the, the foolishness of the world that we live in and the shallowness of the Word, and it just shows me how glorious God is. God's word brought me new life. It was just me and the scriptures. No church, no other Christians, just me and God's word. It was God's word that, that gave me new life. I was born again through the word of God. In my early days as a Christian, it was God's word that, that fed me like, like, like a newborn baby that's craving just pure milk. And over the last 29 years as a Christian, it's God's word that has sanctified me and set me free and revived me and refreshed my soul. I got married nine years ago now. I was 40. I was single till I was 40. I met Rachel. I was very content being single. I got, got to the point where I thought, what a joy to be single for the Lord and to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. And that moment I was content, he brought Rachel into my life. Um, <laughs> And it, it was honestly a struggle. Should I give up my singleness to get married? I honestly grappled with that. Um, but when we got married on our wedding invitations and on our uh, wedding order of service, we had this verse. This is my defining verse for our marriage. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. And that's what both Rachel and I wanted for our life, that our marriage, our parenting, because I married a widow with a child, so I became an instant father. Our marriage, our parenting, our ministry, our whole life, our leisure life, our hobbies, 
We want the word of God to shape it. And I think you know that here, Evie. I think you know that the word of God is powerful. But here's the problem I see in Sydney and perhaps here in Auckland. I think we are spiritually malnourished. I think we're not thriving and flourishing as we could as Christians because we're not allowing the word of God to shape us as it could. We're not reading the word of God for ourselves as much as we should. And we're not meditating on the word of God. And we're not applying the word of God. I use this illustration as a quip, but I'll use it again. I want to imagine that you, you drive to your favorite cafe here in Auckland. Every Sunday morning, faithfully, every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, you drive your car, you park outside the cafe, and you walk into the cafe. And you sit in the cafe, and the waiter says to you, what would you like? And you say, I don't care. Just bring me something. And so they bring you a plate of food, they bring you avocado on toast, and, and you just say to them, oh, look, could you just shovel it into my mouth for me? I can't be bothered to feed myself. <laughs> and so you just sit back going, no. And they shovel in the food, and you never say thank you. You walk out the cafe, and then you get in your car, and you drive home. And you don't eat a single bit of food for the next seven days. Nothing else enters your mouth for seven days. And the following Sunday morning, you drive back to your same cafe, and you say, oh, just shovel some food in my mouth. Just feed me. Now, what would you say to that person? I think you would say that they are malnourished, and they are stupid. <laughs> and they've got to learn to feed themselves. And my point is that we do that, many of us do that with our Christian lives. You drive to church, you walk into church, and you just say to, to Rowan or to Lachlan or to Andrew, oh, just shovel the word of God down my throat. I don't care what you feed me, just feed me this morning. And you get back in your car and your Bible remains firmly shut from Sunday morning to the following Sunday morning. And then we wonder why we're spiritually, spiritually malnourished. We wonder why we're not flourishing and growing and loving God as we could. Jim Packer said, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop people from digging into, the, into God's word. The great evangelist Billy Graham said one of his greatest regrets in life was not studying God's word more. He said, I wish I'd studied more and preached less. People have pressured me into speaking when I should have been studying and preparing and allowing God's word to transform me. And this morning I want to look at Psalm 119. It is perhaps the most in-depth discussion on God's word in the whole Bible. It's the longest of all the Psalms. You could argue it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. You've got 22 stanzas of eight verses. And all eight verses in each stanza begin with the same letter. You might spot it. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth. It's what's called a, an acrostic poem in Hebrew. So the first eight verses all begin with letter A. The next eight verses all letter B, etc., etc., etc. It's this incredibly crafted poem on God's word. And almost every one of the 176 verses talk about the word of God. 
He uses different words like law and commandments and testimonies and precepts and statutes and ordinances. And each word has a very particular meaning. So when you hear the word commandment, think authority. When you, when you hear the word ordinance, think, oh, direction. When, when you hear the word statute, think, oh, well, that's permanent. When you hear the word precepts, think, oh, that's an instruction. But you can't help reading this psalm thinking, this is a man who is totally devoted to the word of God. This is a man who knows what God's word says and what God's word can do for him. And he loves God's word. And he loves God more because of it. And I don't think the writer of Psalm 119 will be satisfied with one meal a week. Do you? Let's look at Psalm 119. Uh, Charles Spurgeon devoted a, a quarter of a million words to this psalm. And I've got one sermon. But I've got one really simple aim. One really simple aim. If you, if you leave this morning doing this, I'd be happy. Delight in God's word. Delight in the word of God. That's the attitude. That's the word the psalmist uses most often. Let's look at a few verses if I can see with this small print. Verse 14. It says, I rejoice. Look at that word. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. The word there for rejoice is a, a jubilant sort of celebration. I, I, I want to shout aloud when I think about God's word. Verse 16. I, I, I delight in your statutes. The word there for delight is a much more quieter, relaxed, that inner joy of sitting down with God's word and find your contentment and your rest and your peace in the word of God. Verse 24, your decrees are my delight and my counselors, they instruct me. Down to verse 72. Instructions from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. They're precious. They are more precious than anything that money can buy. Verse 97. How I love your instructions. I love it, he says. It's my meditation. I, I mull over it all day long. It sits with me. It permeates my whole being. Verse 103, how sweet your word is to my taste. It is beautiful. It's sweeter than honey in my mouth. I could continue. Verse 70, verse 77, 111, 127, 143, 167, 174. I'm not playing bingo. These are all, these are all, all verses about how the psalmist delights in God's word. Oh, how I love your law, he says. Now, that's not like him saying, oh, how I love the speed limit. Now, we don't love the speed limit, but we know it's good for us. That's the issue. If, if you think God's word is a law, rules and regulations that tells you what you can and can't do, you'll be weighed down by the word. And if you think by commands, he's just telling you, things that you have to do to establish a relationship with God, God's word would be like a, a ball and chain around your neck. But, 
But God's word is not rules. It's not laws to keep. Not just laws to keep. They actually reveal who God is and, and what God is like and, and how much God loves you and how to live in a way where you are satisfied in him. Now you've already got your relationship with God through, through faith in Christ, through grace alone, through believing Jesus died for you. But when you've got that relationship, you want to grow in that relationship. And God's word is your best tool to do that. It's our delight. It's not burdensome. It's sweet. It's beautiful. I lived in uh, Christchurch uh, back in 1995. And it's hard to believe that, that it's before the, the age of Skype and before the age of FaceTime. And yeah, even before emails, really. <laughs> and so I used to have these, these telegrams. Remember telegrams? Or the airmails, the, that little paper that used to get. And my mum used to write to me about once a month with an, uh, an airmail. And when I used to get this letter, and I'd sit down with it and I'd, I'd read it. And I'd reread it. And I'd memorise bits of it because it was like this beautiful thing where it gave me a bit of depth to my relationship with my mum again. I didn't just read it and scrunch it in the paper and just chuck it in the bin. I just kept on reading and reading and reading. Samuel Coleridge said this, I have found in the Bible words, words for my inmost thoughts and songs for my joy and utterances for my hidden griefs and pleadings for my shame and feebleness. I want to give you five benefits of God's word this morning. It is sin-stopping. It is sin-stopping. It reveals that hidden sin within our life. And that is good for us. So come with me to verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander, stray from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so I may not sin against you. God's word does that. When you, when you come to God's word, as we've done this week in the book of James, it kind of, it, it rips you to shreds. It's like a surgeon's knife. It, it, it exposes all the yuckiness within you and you think you're doing quite well. You think you're being a good Christian man or a good Christian woman. You come to God's word and you just go, oh, ouch. And it talks about the way that you use your words and your tongue. And it talks about the way you treat people. And it talks about all those hidden things within you that you go, yeah, that's right. I am not like Christ yet. As I read God's word, I think, oh, gosh, I'm so selfish. I'm so angry. I'm so impatient. I'm so unkind. And what God's word does, it, it not just reveals the sin, but it equips you to, to stop sinning. It is sin-stopping. It's like it cleanses you and says, yeah, get rid of that. It is guidance giving. Guidance giving, number two. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to our path. When you read the word lamp there, uh, please don't think massive spotlight that illuminates the whole room. Uh, the lamp there is, you know the tea-like candles that you hold in the, 
the palm of your hand, just, just one little tea-like handle. And what the, the, the psalmist is saying is that God's word gives you just enough light and direction just to take the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. So you don't come to God's word and say, okay, God, show me my next 10 years. You come to God's word saying, okay, God, I need direction and guidance on how to be a better husband in this area. And direction and guidance on, on how to tame my tongue in this conversation. God, I need guidance on how to make a good decision about this use of my money. And that's what God's Word does. It gives you that guidance. When you read the Word of God, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it's not talking to me and about me. It's showing me God and His direction for my life for the next step and the next step and the next step. So God's Word is it's sin-stopping, it's guidance-giving. Number three, it's comfort-channeling. I love this about the Word of God. It is comfort channeling. Look at verse 50. Read verse 50 with me. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I don't turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago, and I find comfort. Such a beautiful word, comfort. Uh, comfort is like balm for your, for your weary soul. Comforts are the, are the truths about God that are unchanging. They're the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. And in the midst of trial, in the midst of tragedy, where else have you got to go than the Word of God to find your comfort? When you're in the deepest, darkest valleys of life, you, you don't just want pious platitudes. And you don't want empty empathy. And you can't tolerate soothing sounds. You just want truth. You want the word of God to reach down into your pain and to wrap you in the loving arms of a God who hasn't left you. And to remind you that he's still good. And he's still sovereign. And he's still powerful. I've gone through some very, very, very dark times in my Christian life. And I'll be honest, there are times in my Christian life where I've wanted just to throw in the towel. And it's God's word that has kept me and comforted me. And to be honest, there are times in the darkest of days where I haven't been able to read the Bible for myself. That might sound odd for a pastor to say. But I've had brothers and sisters who have read the word with me and reminded me of those truths. I've had people who have texted me, just a verse, just one verse, because that's all I could handle, just to remind me of how true God's word is. And I'm sure you could echo that truth. When, when the word of God has dwelt in your heart and in the deepest, or darkest of valleys, it suddenly comes to mind and it does soothe your weary soul. Can I recommend uh, memorizing scripture? I use an app on my phone called Fighter Verses. Um, and it's just the word of God that, that brings me comfort in the darkest of hours. So God's word, it is sin-stopping. It's guidance-giving. It's comfort-channeling. It is soul-stopping. 
satisfying. It's soul satisfying. Uh, Verse 32. I pursue the way of your commands, for they broaden my understanding. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me to understand your instructions. I will obey it. Help me to stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest gain. Turn my eyes from looking what is worthless. Give me life. Give me life in your ways. And what the psalmist is saying is that the things of this world are worthless. They're just trinkets. They're just fleeting pleasures. You can have more and more stuff and more and more money and more and more friends, but they always fail you. They don't last. But when we come to God's word and reminded of the eternal truths, that is satisfying for your soul. Let me ask you, who are the most joyful, satisfied people that you know? They are Christians, but they are Christians who feed on God's word. I can, I can have a good stab at how satisfied you are in your walk with the Lord just by looking at your, at your Bible at home. Hand me your Bible. And you know when it's sort of, it's, it's dog-eared. <laughs> And it's underlined and there's big question marks and, you know, it's, you've dropped it in water sometime, but you've, you've dried it out. And... But if you show me your, what you call to be your personal Bible, but, you know, it's hard to turn a page because they all stick together because you've never actually opened it, you will not be satisfied. The psalmist says in verse 147, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Because our souls are thirsty for God and the world doesn't satisfy us and family won't satisfy us and success and popularity will not satisfy it. George Whitfield said this, I began to read the Holy Scriptures on my knees, laying aside all other books and praying over, if possible, every line and every word. This proved meat and drink for my, for my thirsty soul. And I daily received fresh light and power from above. So God's word is sin-stopping, guidance-giving, comfort-channeling. It is soul-satisfying. And number five, it is praise-producing. The reason we read the word of God is to, to honor God, to adore God, to love God, and to delight in God. Verse seven, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Down to verse 12, Lord, may you be blessed. Verse 13, with my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice, verse 14. It's the picture with people whose tongue is filled with with praise, with delight, with adoration. And and God is always on their lips. And when you meet them, they, they talk about God and say, how good is God? And yeah, even in the darkest of days, God is still good all the time. So there are five benefits for you. It's sin-stopping, guidance-giving, comfort-channeling. It is soul-satisfying and praise-producing.
So how do you develop this attitude? I'll let you into a secret. Here's a secret. No one ever drifts into reading God's word more. I've never met anyone who's drifted into reading God's word more. You always drift into things that are not good for you. It's another D. It's a word that we don't like. It's called discipline. It's the discipline of reading God's word. How do you do it? Three ways you receive it. The discipline of sitting down and allowing God's word to enter your ears. Someone said you will never get the word of God into you if you're not in the word. There's another way to say it. You've got to make time in your life to sit under the word of God. Verse 94 says this. I am yours. Save me. For I have studied your precepts. Isn't that a good word? I've studied them. The word study is actually to be, I've sought them out. And it's the word which is used to uh, pour over each word and each sentence and put it into context. And you actually, you know, you know when you study for a degree, you actually get your books out and you create time to do it. And there are two ways you can study God's word. Publicly and privately. Publicly you come and you come expecting to receive God's word. Let me ask you, when you come to church each Sunday, are you come expecting to hear God speak? Do you prepare for that? If, if Rowan tells you the sermon series you're doing, do you read the passage before you come to church because you want to hear God speak this morning? What about privately? That requires Discipline. Is a, a, a time in your, your day where you have a private, undistracted time of delighting and studying God's word. Here are some common excuses. Oh, but Paul, I'm, I'm so busy. I don't have time. We do have time, let's be honest. You've got 15 minutes a day? The average person spends at least 15 minutes a day looking at the news or looking at social media. Did you know if you had 15 minutes a day in the Bible, if you spent 15 minutes a day in the Bible in 2019, you would read, read through the whole Bible in a year? That's what it takes, 15 minutes a day for the average reader. George Muller, the 19th century pastor, best known for orphanages and prayer, he, he read his entire Bible a hundred times through by the time he was 70. And then listen to this. He read it a hundred times more for his death, age 92. Average, averaging reading the Bible almost five times a year. I don't have time. You do have time. I don't always enjoy it. No, nor do I. But it's like taking your vitamins, isn't it? <laughs> you take them not because you enjoy them, but because they're good for you. And there are times when I sit down with God's word and it's, it is beautiful and the tears are flowing, literally, and there's joy. And like, wow, God! But other times it's just much more mundane, but I am feeding myself with truth about God. I, I read it regularly, you might say, but nothing ever happens. Do you ever pray before you read the Bible? Well, we, when we study God's Word, it's not an academic exercise. 
We need the Spirit of God to illuminate the Word and to illuminate our hearts. Do you ever pray before you read, Lord, show me, Lord, change me? Let me, let me show you from verses 33 to 36. Teach me, Lord. Verse 34, help me. Verse 35, help me. Verse 36, turn my heart. Verse 37, turn my eyes. What are those words? Teach me, help me, help me, turn my heart, turn my eyes. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to God. He comes to the word of God. He's saying, teach me, turn me, help me. Turn my heart. Give me understanding. Well, verse 18, open my eyes. So please make time in your life to, to receive the word. The second way is to, to meditate on the word. Someone said reading the Bible without meditating on it is like trying to eat without chewing or swallowing. You stick the food in your mouth, but you don't actually chew it or swallow it. That's the word used in verse 97, to meditate. And I'm hoping your translation has the same word. Yeah. How I love your instructions. It's my meditation. My meditation all day long. Uh, to meditate is you, you chew over it and you ponder it. Remember Mary who, who pondered over things and treasured them in her heart? Well, verse 11 talks about how the word is hidden. And you, hid it, you hide things which are, are precious in those days. You had no banks, you had no safety deposit. You had your, your gold and you hid your silver. And he's saying, your word is precious. I want to hide it in my heart. Here's a top tip for you to, to meditate on God's word. Uh, go out this week and buy yourself a journal. And buy, buy a really expensive one. Because you're more likely to use it if, you, if it's really expensive. <laughs> and as, you, as you're reading the scriptures, just, just write down wow, that word there. Why does he use that word? Or write down just a verse that struck you. And open your journal many, many times during that day and allow the Word of God just to work you over. Don't just close your Bible, walk away. Allow the Word to, to ruminate around your mind and in your heart as you, as you walk down the street, as you go to the park, as you go to school, as you go to work. The Word of God is actually chewing over in your heart and mind. And if you do that, what then happens is that in those darkest of times, uh, th those words that you've meditated on suddenly come to mind. And please, please, please close down all your social media and all your emails and turn off your phone and meditate and be quiet. Number three, and I'll finish with that, apply God's word. So you receive it, you meditate it, and you apply it. So this whole psalm is not just about knowledge, it's about obedience. It's not about study, it's about action. Uh, verse 1, how happy are those whose way is blameless, whose walk, who walk, who live according to God's word. Verse 14 again, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much in all riches. Verse 17, deal generously with your servants that I might live, then I will keep your word, do your word. Again, for those in a quick, we've just had a whole week of that, haven't we? James, don't merely listen, but do it. What good is looking into the mirror and walk away and do nothing about it? 
God wants us to become more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus. He wants us to live lives that are worthy of his calling. If there's an instruction in God's word, you do it. If there's a promise, you trust it. If there's a rebuke, ouch, it hurts, but you take that. If there's something you don't like, well, God's word is always right. And again, when you're reading your Bible or listening to a sermon, please don't just write copious notes and then walk away and do, and do nothing about it. I mean, this morning, just, just write one thing, just one thing that you want to do differently because of this sermon. And then do it. See, here's the promise. If you're delighting in God's word, you'll be more and more devoted to God. Because we're not worshipping a book, are we? We're worshipping the author of this book. And nowhere in all these 176 verses is the word ever seen as being apart from God. Your precepts, your commands, because when you hear God's word, you hear God's voice. You delight in him more. And that's why we love God's word. Please don't read the Bible just to tick a box. Please don't read your Bible because you feel guilty or pressure, because you want to know God better and love him more. We have such a glorious, extraordinary God who calls us his child, his precious son, his precious daughter. I want to love him more, adore him more, and honor him more. And it's this cycle. The more you love God, the more time in his word you spend. And the more time in your word, his word you spend, the more you love him. And you get deeper and deeper and deeper. I love God's word. And my prayer for this church is that we would not be spiritually malnourished. As Charles Spurgeon says, the more you read the Bible, the more you meditate on it, the more astonished, the more astonished you'll be by it and by the God who wrote it. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would feed and nourish us through your scriptures. A spirit, would you illuminate your word and illuminate our hearts and minds and give us the, the desire and the will to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I just recommend one book to you as I close. This is a book called uh, Bible Delight by Christopher Ash. Uh, and it's uh, Psalm 119 for the Bible teacher and the Bible hearer. That would be a great book just to grab so you can love God's word more.